Okay, so it's my 100th episode, the 100th episode of my show, and uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. We are going to talk about all 99 previous episodes of my show. This is Unstandardized English. My name is Dr. J.P.B. Gerald. We talk about the racially, linguistically, and neurologically minoritized, and we try to seek justice for them in some way, some fashion. But today we're going to talk about the show itself because I've been doing this for almost four years now, and I've had 100 episodes, and I kind of want to reflect on it. Uh, Okay. Okay, so here's what I'm going to do. There are 99 previous episodes, and I want to talk about all of them, what I remember about them, some behind-the-scenes thing, I don't know. I'm not like a private person in that sense, but maybe you want to learn some stuff. Anyway, I'm going to go through each one in order, say something about it, and keep going. 99 episodes is a lot. Um, So I'm going to give myself a timer, 49 minutes, 30 seconds, so that I don't talk for more than 30 seconds on average about each episode. And we will go from there. So the rest of this episode will be 49 minutes and 30 seconds. Um, plus the, you know, 20 seconds in the outro theme. So 50 minutes, I guess. Okay, are we ready? Let's start with expats. Still my most listened to episode from season one, number one. I recorded this on my phone and I didn't get the recording right. But my friend was recording a backup thing, and it really helped because I think if I hadn't done that right then and there, because I was like, I want to do a podcast, and I didn't really know how, if that had failed and I hadn't put it together, I would have given up. And it's still my most listened to episode for reasons that I do not understand. Number two, the many acronyms of language education. That was my first one recording in person. Um, And it was cool to have somebody right there. In fact, I'm glad when I get a chance to do that. I've only ever recorded in person that time, and then um, every time my wife is on, which has happened a few times. That was with Lydia Villaranca. I like them. They're very fun. Um, I think that this is a, an episode where my ideas ended up with my book, like many of them. Number three is Everyone Has an Accent. Um, that's the first of several times I had Dr. Vijay Ramjatan on. Um, he's like really someone whose work is cited a lot and has a lot of interesting things to say about accents. And I could see my thoughts developing from talking to him and, you know, feeling like I need to ask this guy really good questions, help my scholarship, my thinking on accents. And now I'm completely, you know, I know what I think about accent reduction and how terrible it is. Number four was called Black and or Smart. Now that's the first episode I ever recorded by myself, which I did then because the episode I'd set up didn't work. Um, The the sound was bad and I'll talk about it in a second. But this is the first time I really tried to unpack intelligence, which obviously became a running theme of this show. So me thinking about myself and rejecting the label of smart, it really started here, and it's all over my scholarship since then. Number five, uh, I knew I had to have an episode about inner speakerism, and I wanted to do one with this person, but um, I did it. I just functionally did it wrong. Um, they were in a, a choppy connection, and I recorded it at six in the morning when I was in a gym, um, and it only recorded when I was not talk it, it just only recorded half of it so I had to keep summarizing it and I no longer talked to Dr. Paris Paris around because she said that my work was I guess cowardly because I was not mean enough to white people which is funny when you think about my work um, but I don't know I haven't talked to them in years next one is bad rap um, this is another thing where I was thinking of different ways people are racist Um, And this is me just talking about rap music and my relationship to it and one of the ways that people found it socially acceptable to be racist because they were talking about rap music. Um, But what they really meant was black people and black culture. So that's one of the first times I did that sort of analysis. The next episode is called An Accurate Conversation About Fluency with Scott Stiller, another collaborator of mine and someone whose work I really value. Um, And we were talking about just troubling things like I didn't think that you could trouble the concept of fluency. You know, and um, when I had that conversation with him, it really got me thinking. And like, how do we really, you know, uh, rank 
people's language skills and should we even be thinking about fluency, right? Um, so really interesting episode of my thoughts. The next episode, which is, I believe, we're up to episode 8, but I've honestly lost count, is the Altruistic Shield Live. Now, this is the first time that I recorded myself giving a talk in person and then put it on the show, and I pointed out very frequently that um, the in-person presentation got like 30 30 people and then the episode has gotten you know a few hundred since then now a few hundred isn't that many but it's a lot more than 30 so that's why the podcasting is uh valuable the next one was called discriminating outcomes and uh that one was you know one of my most listened to ones for reasons that uh <laughs> someone who I connected with got really, you know, they promoted me really highly and I got a spike in listenership, but that's the first time I spoke to uh, Kelly Wright, and Kelly Wright, who recurs on the show, brilliant scholar, glad that I got that uh, chance. She actually gave me the advice to stop recording on my goddamn phone, uh, and that's when I started to pay attention to the audio here, because it was bad. The next one's called The Language of White Supremacy. Ironically, this person, um, Maureen uh, Kasi, is uh, on the episode with, with Kelly Wright later in this season. Um, anyway, this is where we really dug into the way that white supremacists and white nationalists use language, and I think it was a really valuable thing to cover on the show. And um, I'm glad that I, you know, still in contact with Maureen and learn from her and her work all the time. Then there was Towards a Pedagogy of Heretical Whiteness. This is another Just Me episode. We're at, by the way, January 19, 2020. This is one of those times when I just had an idea and I had to say it. Um, and I'm sort of making stuff up here and just thinking through my own thoughts. And I wanted people to, to, to tell me what they thought. And I brought this entire thing into my book, basically, the idea of heretical whiteness. You know, like we were rejecting the, apo the um, apotheosis of whiteness. The next one was called Concept of F Academic Integrity and, uh, I skipped one, <laughs> Encounters Crossover. Right, that was a really interesting episode. Um, my audio was screwed up there. It was half of an episode. I don't think I really did it the right way, so I could have done a lot better there. Anyway, now, moving on. Um, towards the pedagogy of heretical whiteness, oh, sorry, Concept of Academic Integrity um, that was uh, another one where I was trying things out. I was trying it out with, uh, you know, by putting sounds in it. Uh, wasn't great, but it's a pretty interesting episode, and um, I'm glad that I did it. The episode was called Racialization Experiences as ELT Professionals. Um, I am rapidly losing track of time here. <laughs> the ADHD is not helping me here. Um, and that was uh, with a person I, I also lost touch with, but um, hearing about her experiences in Canada and how the issues with, you know, language teachers and race and stuff are not confined to the United States directly was a really interesting thing. And so I'm glad that I had her on the show and I wish that she would come back, but I think that she's one of the many people who understandably have left social media. And so I don't really know where she is. One, I had to pause here to count, see if I'm on pace. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, seven minutes, I am on pace. Let's continue. All right. Um, exceptional merit. This is me starting to get into the idea of meritocracy and um, what it means to have merit. And I've written about this in my quantitative studies class the previous year, and I kind of wanted to present what I've written there, even though I knew it wasn't going to become a study. At this point, remember, I've only had the one short article published, and I'm in my second year of my doctoral program. So these are just ideas I'm putting out into the world, and, you know, I was just seeing if people connected with them as I was hoping that my ideas would spread. The next one was the ideal employee. I brought BJ Ramjitan back, and uh, he we talked about employment, professionalism. This is something I'm going to keep writing about, and hopefully if my next book gets published. Um, and so it was just great to have him back. He was the first person I returned to the show for a second time. So it was interesting to see what that was like, because the more I got to know people, the better episodes were. Like when I'm meeting people for the first time, admittedly, it's not necessarily the best. Um, the next was the Union of Theater and Language Education, and, you know, 
That was an episode, if I think back to when I recorded that episode, when I thought I was going to receive a particular job, I did not receive it. I'm glad I didn't, even though I'm much, I really wanted to leave my job. If I had received that job, I would have started that job right when the shutdown happened, because this was the last episode that came out before the shut, or actually came out right after the shutdown. And then I got really, really weird, because I didn't know what to do in New York in March 2020. I had a one-month-old baby, and you couldn't really go anywhere, so I just sort of lost it and did episodes every single week for 10 weeks, I believe, because I call them critical COVID conversations because we all thought it was only going to last a few months, right? The first one was with Jessica Sirk. Um, She was talking about different aspects of racism in different places, including where she works in upstate New York. And I just always try to get different aspects of racism in different places because I don't want people to think it's a monolith. The second one was was with Abby Bayunimi. And, you know, we were talking about academia and, you know, how she left academia and some of these things. And that was one of the first times I really thought about academia as a concept on the show. Um, And so that was really you know, an avenue that you've obviously heard my show go into many times since then. So that was sort of the beginning of that. I got so many episodes left. Jesus Christ. Take a breath. Okay. Okay. The next one was with Marion Durrani. Wonderful scholar. Interesting conversation. I don't even want to go back and listen to these conversations because we were making predictions about COVID and they were so wrong. Um, but yeah, I really enjoyed talking to her about, you know, I guess the current moment. It's very much an artifact of when I recorded it in March of 2020, but we were talking about, you know, um, various shortages and various things people were doing, and it was, it was, was, well, I don't want to go back and listen to it, because boy, do we not know what we were talking about. I did one with uh, Shay, and uh, that was another episode where I talked to somebody who was talking about teaching things like lynching and how she approaches it, and, you know, I just thought that was a really interesting and different person. She gave me some really good advice. Um, And, you know, she told me my ancestors just wanted me to be happy. Right? And that was really useful. I recorded an episode called New York, which was about different traumatic things that happened in New York as I grew up. Um, I talked about 9-11. I talked about the stock market. Well, the you know, housing crisis in 2008, and I talked about COVID, and like, (laughs) COVID was far from over, of course, but just recording episodes, pumping them out, uh, but like thinking about how a lot of major things have happened in New York in my life, and, you know, that probably had a pretty profound effect on me. Next one was with one of my favorite people that I've had on the show, Betsy Sneller, um, just a brilliant linguist who I believe had just gotten her job in Michigan, and, you know, we really talked about um, the way that we can analyze language, and honestly, the most important thing is that I'm I'm good friends with Betsy, not that I've ever actually met her in person, but um, she's someone I trust and whose ideas I think are really valuable for mine, she supported me as well, so that's cool. The next was one of my favorite episodes ever. We need to talk about Karen. First of all, A-plus title. I had Kelly Wright back on, I had Maureen Cossie back on. We were talking about the way that people have sort of misused the phrase Karen, which has a specific meaning, which is a racist white woman who uses the power of the state to, you know, oppress people of color, right? So now it just means woman complaining, and that's not cool. Great episode. One of my most popular ones, too. Um, then I talked to Ali Bobineau. Um, who, you know, had written, was, it hadn't come out yet, and this will come up a little bit later, but was working on a book about, you know, different ways that language learners are treated in the state that she lives in and the work that she's done with them. And, you know, it was really, really valuable. Um, then I had Language in Barbados. I spoke with someone who's a professor in Barbados, and most importantly, I had a lot of her students on the show. And that's by far the most guests I've had. It was the most complicated thing I tried to do, but I'm really glad I had it. I need to go back and listen to it. But, uh, you know, it was interesting, first of all, to see how COVID was being treated in other places and how they weren't quite as locked down as we were. But also, they all really, really had something to say. And so anyone who thinks that people in different places know less than we do, which is ridiculous. 
Um, then I had Kelsey Swift on, who is also a good friend of mine now. Um, someone who, you know, these are just, at a certain point it became me talking to friends about language and other things. Uh, and I was really just hearing what Kelsey had to say about some of my ideas about challenging whiteness, but ultimately it's just another person like that that I know very well now. The next person I know the most, that was AMT Gerald, my wife, the first one I had with her. I really liked that episode. We got along well. People liked it. Um, we, we called it These Uncertain Times. Does anyone remember in 2023 when they kept saying These Uncertain Times? Well, that's what we talked about and how we were reacting to things and how we were dealing with stuff. So, um, another interesting artifact of early 2020. Um, and then that was the end of the first season. Uh, the first season, I did a recap where I went over every episode. I even put an excerpt from every episode into that episode. Do you understand how long that shit took me to do? I am never doing that again. That's why I'm just recapping everything myself. <laughs> I couldn't do it with 99 episodes. Um, but like, you know, I was really proud of the podcast I was doing and, you know, my shit was blowing up with my articles. So by the time the next season started in September of 2020, things were different. I had a specific day of the week. I did it always that day. I had recorded on Zoom. I even had a microphone, not the microphone that I've since acquired, which is much better, although I don't always use it. But yeah, so anyway. Um, now, cancel cancel culture culture. We're talking about cancel culture with Caitlin Green. Wonderful episode. I'm really glad we did it. I'm good friends with Caitlin. Um, and cancel culture, of course, has become a term that's gone so far that I can't even imagine talking about it two years ago. The first time I had Rebecca Cavill-Motavo on in the next episode, we were talking about quant crit, and that's the first of two times we talked about how can we be critical about using quantitative data. Um, another interesting topic that you all should go back and listen to, again, it's called The Numbers Game. We're on season two, excuse me, season two, episode two. The next one was called Language Teaching in the White Working Class, and uh, that was with a good friend of mine, Nicole, and, you know, Someone whose work I really, I honestly wrote an article with her that did not get published. Someone asked me to write it. I told them I only write a certain way. I wrote it that way. And they said, well, we're not going to publish it unless you change it. And Nicole and I, you know, we pulled it. You know, she's someone I can trust. And uh, she really is trying to do things up in Ohio. I don't know if she's still in Ohio, but where she was in Ohio at the time. Um, some critical thoughts on epistemological racism or epistemology. I was just talking about knowledge and um, I wanted to think about uh, the, the, the way that knowledge values whiteness. And um, I think that was one of my best episodes at the time because I just was really incisive and I recorded the whole thing in one rant. Then I did a brief trip to Lovecraft Country with Keisha Wheel, um, great scholar um, who has lived in Queens and Philadelphia, but also lives in Curacao. I think she was in Curacao at the time. And uh, we talked about a show that I wish they'd given it more season. I don't think it was perfect. It was kind of a mess, but there were some profound ideas in Lovecraft Country and I wish we had gotten more time with it. Unfortunately, it now makes me think of uh, the late Michael Kenneth Williams and that's just sad, so I'm going to move on. Then we had uh, language access with, a, with Anar and, you know, talking about the access that people had to languages and what that actually, what impact that has on their lives. I recorded that the night of the final presidential debate and we were, you know, fastidiously avoiding it. Um, but I'm really glad we had that discussion because we both took our minds off the old men yelling at each other. Then the first episode I, I released after the election, although I recorded it before, was called The Eugenicist's Best Friend. I talked in that episode about friends I had and how they saw me as one of the good ones. And, you know, the extension of that is that they would save me when the, the you know, the, the, the unworthy people were called. Um, and I'm still pooling over this idea. I have an essay that I'm getting published called The Eugenicist's Best Friend, and it, it's really good. It's just... 
I can't believe I started thinking about this four years, well, three years ago, but it'll be four years by the time the episode comes out. Um, then racializing, Radicalizing Literacies and Languaging, that's the book by Ali Babineau and her uh, colleague. And, you know, it was really interesting to think, this was the first of many times that an academic author came on my show to talk about their book. <laughs> it's not a big audience, but the way academic books sell, it might be a big audience. You know, academics do listen to my show. Thank you for listening, academics. And then finally, one of my most important episodes, ELT After Whiteness. Um, and that was with Scott Stiller and B.J. Ramjitan, where we were talking through our ideas about what would English language teaching look like after whiteness. And we wrote a three-part series and collaborated for more than a year on writing after whiteness articles. I mean, that's one of my favorite projects I've done. We wrote, you know, it was more than a year and a half of work and it started there. Then there was New Language Teacher with Destiny, um, another person who seems to have dropped off social media. But, you know, I sometimes try to talk to younger people, especially as I age, to get their perspective on some of the things that I'm talking about. And it's really good to hear from younger folks. So, you know, she had just started in teaching the language and I could see already how the field was being exploited. And that's kind of sad, but it was good to hear a direct perspective from someone in that position. Then on the limits of whiteness, when I was another person I was talking to about their book, this um, was a little bit different because the book was already out, but I just really liked the book. So they sent me one and I read it and I just devoured it. And I told her um, that it felt like a person was in her book. And that's what I really admired about it. And I told her off recording that like they were considering my book and I was hoping I could write it the way she did. And then I got the book news right after that and told her, and then she ended up writing a blurb for my book, Neda Mabula. So one of the, the most important people in my career, even though I'm not a person I have literally never met. COVID has been a strange time. Then I had a critical analysis of 90 Day Fiance. I talked about 90 Day Fiance. Yes, I did, right? This was January 18, 2021, which makes it the first episode after January 6th. <laughs> And I think I just need to get my mind off of all of that. Um, then I had the first of a couple episodes with my friend Keith Stewart um, talking about the whiteness of trivia and the fact that trivial knowledge really does prize quote-unquote white knowledge. And that's a silly topic, but like, you know, I remember going to trivia games and it's just I'm like the only black person there. And it's not that people don't know stuff. Just the questions they're asking are not usually as part of our culture. If you had a trivia that was about black questions, it would be, you know, specifically named that, but you go to quite trivia with white questions. It's just how it is. Then we did I did neurodivergent narratives with my friend Ali Oates, Dr. Oatstein, now Dr. Oatstein, and we were talking about our past to neurodivergence. And it's funny because we did this before my diagnosis, so I was only comfortable saying neurodivergence and I felt like a fraud because I didn't have a diagnosis, but I did get my diagnosis a few months later, so oh, I do have ADHD. So what I was saying was not untrue. And that's really when I started talking about it. That's the first time I mentioned being neurodivergent on the show. It's obviously happened many times since then. Um, the Academic Stop Protest Too Much was um, another episode with uh, Caitlin Green. And we were talking about academics, like right-wing academics who were whining about various things like James Lindsay and, and uh, you know, uh, young order and uh, their discourse and the way that they write about things and how damaging they are to, you know, progressive causes and uh, language in general. I haven't thought about that in a while. I don't spend as much time on language Twitter as I used to, which is probably good. Then I then I did, I'm talking about, talking about Burma with Chumay Pai. Love that episode. The civil conflict in Burma had just started and people were quote-unquote talking about it but they weren't doing anything about it and we weren't particularly saying we were doing anything about it but we wanted to talk about how people were talking about it and not doing anything about it it makes sense um unsustainable the Rachel Emus talking about sustainability and white supremacy and that sort of thing we know that there's a lot of racism involved in allowing the planet planet to burn and of course people always say the planet is in trouble the planet will be fine. Humanity is in trouble. The planet will be here long after we're dead. Don't worry about Earth. Worry about our ability to exist on it. The planet's just gonna kick us off. 
Anyway, problematizing early childhood education with my now good friend Elizabeth King, Dr. King, um, and we were talking about some of the things that are a big part of early childhood education that are, again, white normed. She has recurred on the show. You will hear her on the next season premiere in about a month and a half, maybe. So, you know, she'll be back. And she ended up being and has continued to be a valuable collaborator for me. Reopening for who was Selena Carrion, another person who unfortunately has left social media, so I don't know what they're up to. I assume they're still a teacher. Um, but we're talking about the school's quote-unquote reopening and, and saying it's really good for people. And the question was, who is it really good for? That's a question that remains. Obviously, schools are, should be open in general. When we talk about learning loss, I'm sure they show pictures of black kids. But the pressure is really on the test companies and the schools. I have lots to say about this. <laughs> um, the purpose, promise, and of. <laughs> Frankly, I don't know what this is called because the title is too long. Uh, so I don't know what that is. Oh well. Anyway, the next episode is a system of saviors, and my wife and I were talking about white saviors and nonprofits and so forth because we were working on an article about it, an article that was rejected, um, and they wanted to change it a lot, and so we decided not to do it. I really wanted it to be, to be, um, to be accepted because that would have been really cool to be published with my wife did not happen. But we were talking about nonprofits and saviors and, you know, I, uh, yeah, anyway, then I did the season two finale recap and, you know, things that had occurred and I did exactly the same thing, except this time I just said what was in all the episodes. I did not edit everything. So at that point, I was working on my dissertation. I was in the middle of writing my book. My son had just started daycare, so he wasn't sleeping well. That was a mess. And then I took a few months off. And then I came back with Pathologized Languaging with Maria Rosa Brea. And I started to really collaborate with people who I thought were people I could collaborate with more often. I said that about some other people, but like Maria Rosa Brea is someone who I'm working with on a consult on a like consulting project for the next several years. So like that's someone I've I've always um, that's someone that I've really built on my relationship from this uh, episode with. She had heard me speak in the fall of 2020 at NYU, and she wanted to stay in touch with me. So uh, I was also applying to TT jobs around this time and being rejected, and she's someone who wrote me a recommendation. And I realized I was asking a lot of her in retrospect, and now I feel bad. The next one was called Hidden Curricula Parental Individualism with Dr. Jessica Larkin. Now, she's a big deal. She's written a couple of books about the hidden curriculum, and so it was a big get for me to get her on the show. I don't... Another person I haven't really seen much of, because, you know, I will tell all of you, I stopped scrolling Twitter a couple of years ago, which means I only see people when they message me, because um, it was stressing me out. But that means I don't see people on there that I used to. Um, workplace Hellness with Erica Strandyard. Um, that's an episode about workplace wellness programs, but the language they use and, you know, how offensive it is and unpleasant. Um, yeah, that's a funny episode. It's not serious. That one just makes me laugh. Um, some of the things she's seen in Workplace Wellness and Chronicle on her website, Workplace Hellness, I think, have been... <laughs> you got to go back and listen to it. Um, on the inherently colonial structure of language education with Gabriela Ricata, another person who I'm working on a, co on a uh, consulting project with. Um, but yeah, we were talking about how the way that language education is structured is just replicating colonialism, just inherently. Like, you can't just stay within the system and not replicate colonialism. And that's a problem. So that's what we were talking about in this episode. One of my favorite episodes is one where I just got mad, sat down and recorded an episode because I had seen a, a useful journal article because that's the one year that I had a subscription to educational researcher and then I stopped it. It's bad. Um, but they had just published a useful article right after an Achievement Gap article. And I am sure the reason I'm seeing all these news stories in 2023 about math scores is because there were a bunch of goddamn Achievement Gap articles. And... I was just mad, so I sat and recorded it. 
Um, that, man, I cannot believe this was two years ago. Um, Shabani Geldof, who I did not know was as old as she is. <laughs> and I'm not trying to criticize her. I mean, she just has such a youthful energy. Um, and uh, she recorded her episode talking about, um, well, you see, classics. And I learned a lot about Greek history. I learned a lot about Roman history and how it has to do with language. And that's just a fascinating episode. Um, the challenge of changing T-Song from the inside with Clara Ballard. And like that was when Clara and I were creating these um, graphics for chaos. And we were in the middle of that really fruitful collaboration. And uh, which is one of my favorite episodes to, to sit with her and have that conversation because she's trying to change it from the inside. She is a professor and she has to follow the rules of a school that I also work for now. <laughs> it's hard to change. And then, um, when my wife had the previous job, two jobs ago actually, she worked um, with some women who were experiencing homelessness, and um, I had one of them on to talk about their experiences. That's an episode that's very different from everything else I do, but I'm glad that I did it. Um, I have no idea how those women are doing now, I hope they're doing okay, but yeah, the voices, that one's called The Voices of Lived Homelessness Experience. Um, then we had Making the White Perceiver Better. Now that's one that's really popular um, with Melissa Baysberg. She, I, I use her data all the time because she was saying in that episode that if you are a white perceiver, um, it only takes something like a weekend to get good at understanding a wide variety of accents, but it takes what, decades to change your accent in English, uh, if you're learning English. So the burden should just be on us. To, if you're a teacher, you understand accents because it's your job. Everybody else wouldn't take long. Then I had another live presentation, checklists and merit badges. Um, and I was really feeling myself that year because I had just returned to um, give that presentation and it was my first presentation in person since the last one two years earlier. So I was really feeling myself in that one. Um, and uh, that chapter was only just published this year in a book. Becoming a so then I knew I was gonna be working on my dissertation, so I recorded three episodes really, really back to back that were just about my scholarly history to that point. Maybe that's self-indulgent, but this whole show is self-indulgent, so is this episode. But th this episode and the next episode episode after that from January 10th, 22nd, February 7th in, uh, in 2022 were just filler episodes, but they were interesting where I sort of chronicled how I'd gotten to the point where I had finished the first draft of my book. I was in the middle of writing my dissertation. I was looking for a new job. This was the most stressful period of my entire fucking life. I tell you from about I didn't like my job, but I settled into a rhythm of it being just boring instead of bad in 2021. And then in uh, the fall of 2021, I got a, I got a big rejection from a, uh, a track and track job where I'd been recruited. And I, I thought I was betrayed, and I realized that that's how tenure track jobs work. They recruit you, but you nothing, it may go nowhere, so you go as working, and then they just pretend. Um, and I got a rejection from another job, and I had to rethink the entire thing that I wanted to do. And so um, I just talked that all this is going on at this time, and the job search was the most stressful thing in the world, and you know, it was still Omicron time and everything, and it was just really, really stressful. And then I took a little bit of time off because I was switching to this platform um, called Megaphone and onto a podcast network, which is why you still hear ads in here. Um, but anyway, then I came back with the two hosts of the Vocal Fries, and we talked about um, podcasting and linguistic justice, and that's definitely one of my most listened to episodes because those two are very popular, as well they should be. Um, and so I was I kicked off a series of episodes that I wanted to be really, really good because I was on this new network, and I did get a bug. Um, I don't know that it always lasted. Then I did Sam Holdley Bro, what are they scared of? The fear that certain white people have um, when thinking about whiteness. Another person I don't see on social media anymore because I don't scroll, and that's it's really a shame. I honestly would like to get back to it, but whatever. Um, white people in Oregon. This is my little tour of white people, right? I did Oregon in this one with Kaylin Gunter, um, and 
I'm just really, you know, <laughs> this tour of whiteness was something that I, uh, I'm glad I continue to this day because it's fascinating to think about different places that whiteness is and how it is and so forth. Um, so, you know, not only progressive Oregon and white people, it's, uh, well, listen to the episode, white people and Oregon. So then there's um, white to the finish, and I'm on my little tour, I went to Finland this time. Another one where I had no idea what whiteness would be like in Finland. I know they're very white, um, and I would love to do this episode with Sweden and Norway, because I'm really fascinated by the way that Scandinavia is said to be the best place in the world, and in a lot of ways I'm sure it's nice up there, but like, you know, there's no place in the world that ends up that white by accident. <laughs> Okay, Caramel with Dr. Weisler. Great, interesting, talking about the different ways people pronounce things in her work. And she's like about as serious and committed a scholar as I've ever met. And I was really glad I was able to try and help and connect her with um, several professional experiences that um, she might have had, not because it was so great, because they asked me to do it. And I said, you should ask her. Uh, and she gave like a big talk at TESOL this year, so. Anyway, then I had an episode called Dr. Gerald. My wife and I talked about when I hadn't graduated. And that was just nice and sweet. And the way it ended, and I said, you know, I didn't even think I could do it. And my wife said, but you did do it. I mean, sometimes I still don't believe that I did it. You know, and now I use it on everything. Now I'm proud of it, because that's my fucking name, right? My name is Dr. J.P.B.J. My name is Dr. Justin Pierce Baldwin Gerald, obviously. Then I did radical copy editing. Really interesting one with Alex Capitan. Um, Capitan? No, I can't remember. Capitan. Um, and Alex was talking about copy editing and how that can reflect views, right? Or, or bigotry, or fight bigotry. Right? And then it's not just things like gender and changing pronouns in terms of the way you're editing things, but like, you know, do you really want to use that word to describe this? Right? You know, we could use Alex on some of these newspapers. Anyway, um, Discourse of White Racial Identity Development, uh, that was um, Ursula Moffat. Her work on white racial identity development is really fascinating. I use it in my dissertation. Um, and, you know, I think that hearing directly from someone who does that work um, has really influenced my own thinking. Then there was uh, Way Harsh with Tai Slovi um, and some really interesting anthropological work that she's done. I will tell you, I did not expect her last name to be pronounced Slovi. <laughs> you know, the things that you would expect. Um, but yeah, I had fun there. And, um, I don't know. I guess I need to go back and language Twitter because that's why I haven't talked to her in a long time. I miss a lot of these people. The next one was my keynote for New Jersey TESOL. Now, that's much, not much of an episode, but I will tell you, like, giving a keynote, you know, just two years after my second article became popular, and I had a book coming out, but it hadn't even come out yet. You know, like, you, like now would be one thing for me to get keynotes, but, like, back then, that was, and people liked it, and I did a good job, like that shows me that I'm pretty good at this. Then I talked to Samantha Harris, um, I didn't really take a break, I only did, I just did once a month over the last summer, and I like Samantha Harris a lot, and we were trying to collaborate on something, and we just couldn't put it together, but then I got to hear directly from her, and the work that she's doing, and you know, she's really out there trying to challenge things uh, in her own way, and I'm proud to see the development that she's going through. So, you know, it's, uh, she will be interviewed when I get around to doing my next book if they accept the proposal. Policies are for the incurious. And so as we started what will now be a two-year tradition at, with the episode next month, I started the next season with my friend Elizabeth King talking about policies and how you do have to change policies. But if you only change policies, then the only people who are going to change are the people who are curious about why things change. But you can't not change the policies because the incurious people need policies to change. 
Um, and I, <laughs> this episode, um, crosswords challenging concepts. I don't want to talk too much about this episode. The, the woman who was on this episode, she was very kind to me. Other people told me that they didn't like the episode because they didn't like what she had to say, but and I hope she doesn't hear this and feel bad, but like, you know, I tried to frame things that, that I just, she didn't have the same training that we did about the right words to use to describe things. And so, um, nothing bigotry, just a little bit different. My audience was like, hey man. Um, and I did an episode about Nope, a movie I like a lot. And that movie you should have liked. And if you didn't like it, I will tell you exactly why uh, you should have liked it. But, well, anything, I think the sound, the cinematography, the score were really, really special. And I will never forget the sound of those people <laughs> screaming inside of the alien butthole. Um, good Neighborhoods brought Clara Ballard back. We talked about the concept of good and bad neighborhoods and what it really means to be a good neighborhood or a bad neighborhood. Um, and, you know, uh, how we can challenge these concepts. And... Uh, we always go off and talk about different things when we talk together. So uh, that's another episode that you can tell that the person and I are good friends and we go off to a lot of different ways. Then we did Latinx Cam with one of my colleagues from this um, podcast network and talking about her work in Latinx Cam. And, you know, we were talking about the sort of radical ideas we have, but we have how we have to try to make it pragmatic. And this is when I started to notice that having the job where I was more stable and having a more stable sense of self meant that I was looking at things a little bit differently. I talked to Hannah Luco, and this is where things started to be different because Hannah Luco, we talked about teaching adults for free and the way that there's so many volunteer English language teachers and how that's not really great, um, was someone who admired my work. When I reached out to her, she said, oh my God, I'm excited. And that is not the last time that's happened, but you know, I feel like some people listen to my show regularly, <laughs> and I thank all of you for it. Um, from majoritized to minoritized, with Amina Dweedy, we're now getting pretty close. I now remember this episode. My son was in this episode, um, but we talked about, with Dr. Dweedy, um, her experiences uh, moving from North Africa to Europe, and how she went from being part of the majority to part of the minority. and how she'd been in different positions and um, what that really made her feel like. And I honestly think it was one of the better episodes. Um, then I had another presentation, Antisocial Language Teaching, which is me going through my book. And my book had just come out, so I was happy to have another thing promoting it, um, which you should buy. The link is in the show notes. It always is. Um, and yeah, presentation about the book. Honestly, so what I was saying, I'm going to get this in 12 seconds, about having settled is I'm not as angry as I used to be. I don't mean that I'm not fed up with the state of the world, but I'm not as personally aggrieved as I used to be, and that changes my thinking. I think that my head is clearer, and I think it's better not to be personally burdened all the time. Um, I was really hoping for one point that this podcast would make me a certain amount of money and I could like do it full time. That never happened and that's good because I like my job. I had an episode called Baseball in Character with my friend Q Stewart again and we were talking about the Hall of Fame and who should be in, who should be out. Different episode but someone told me they really liked my episode and uh, that was a change of pace. Then I did another episode questioning Quant or Quant Crit with Wendy Castillo. That was not a great episode, not because of her, but because uh, my son was having trouble sleeping then, and I was half listening for him to wake up all the time, and it was just a very stressful time. It's not her fault, but like I was like whispering and you know not paying attention sometimes, and it was not ideal. So, sorry. Um, then being forced to blaze a trail was uh, with Miriam Allen. Oh, sorry, I skipped one. Adjunctee in French Canada. I spoke to a friend from Korea, Nadia Halal, and she was talking about racism and her sort of unsteady career um, and what that's been like for her. And, you know, I think a lot about my friends who came out from Korea and stayed in the teaching field. Some of them are doing fine, but 
it's a hard road out there, and I don't like that. That's what I'm talking about, feeling less personally aggrieved. Um, now I try not to do things that are going to upset me deeply. Like, why would I do that if I don't have to? Then I did an episode with Mariam El Amin being forced to blaze a trail, but she was sort of a trailblazer for um, the work she's trying to do. And that sort of puts a spotlight on you and how it's a certain type of experience where just because the question hasn't been asked or hasn't been published, it puts, you know, you get certain scrutiny. I did an actually native Calgarian with uh, a native Calgarian. Really fascinating episode. Um, another crossover where I was on her show and she, um, well, she's more professional than I am, let's put it that way. But, you know, I really wanted to try to feature more indigenous folks on here with concepts that uh, are, are tied to that community. And although I did confirm I am slightly uh, indigenous, I'm no expert and I don't want to be the one talking about it. A Trip to Turf Royalist Island, one of my favorite titles um, with Anna Meyer talking as she's an American living in the UK and comparing the racism here and there and colonialism, the way they're so out of touch with colonialism because it was across, it wasn't, they weren't looking at it directly. Um, and <laughs> I don't know, making fun of the UK is fun, I'm sorry. <laughs> Not as an American, in fact, as a black person, because of their belief that they're less racist than we are. That's what I mean. Um, then I did another episode with my wife, Black History Month, and we were talking about our feelings on the sort of corporate surface level Black History Month stuff. Um, and, you know, it, uh, it was fun. Pretty short episode, though. And I, I'd like to give my wife background here, but I realized that by the time we have Ezra asleep at night, she's very tired, and I totally understand that, even though I stayed up for like hours later. And I did an episode on Everything Everywhere All at Once, and I recorded it before the, the Oscars because I really wanted to talk about the show, but if it had lost Best Picture, I would have been very sad, and I don't think I would have wanted to talk about it as much, or it would have been a, an angry episode, but like, I recorded it before the show when it had a lot of nominations, and I was hoping it would win a bunch, and it won basically everything, and I was happy. Um, I don't know, it's a movie that means a lot to me, and uh, I wanted to talk about it. All right, then I did another tour of whiteness with my friend Grace, um, who I met in the Discord for a, a podcast, um, but talking about whiteness where she lives in Wisconsin, I hadn't really gotten the Midwest on here for my tour of whiteness. Um, so, you know, she told about her experiences, and Grace hadn't really been on a podcast before, so that was cool, and I think it's good to hear different voices, even if they're not quote-unquote professionals, or quote-unquote scholars, and I don't mean that as an insult, I mean she's just younger. Um, so, uh, I just think that's important to not just quote these folks. Anyway, Neurodivergence and Decision Making with Laura uh, Bustamante, great, great episode, talking about the psych stuff, right, not just, um, neurodivergence in an experiential way, which she does have also, but like what's actually happening in the decisions being made in people's brains, like fascinating stuff I knew nothing about. Then I did something called Domestic City Reviews, where I talked about a few trips I've been on and the cities I've been to. I talked about DC, I talked about Dallas, I talked about San Diego, and um, you know, like DC, it should be better for transport. San Diego, just kind of a car place, but it's so nice there that whenever in Dallas, <laughs> I don't like Dallas. <laughs> um, I went to Atlanta in April, and I have yet to record an episode on that, so I'll do that once I go on another trip, because I'm going to Cleveland in October, so after Cleveland, I'll record another one. And I did, excuse me, Like Literally Dude with Valerie Friedland. And let me tell you about this. Interesting episode, another author, another scholar, um, but like two weeks after my, well not two weeks, but like three weeks after my episode came out, she's on Factually with Adam Conover. I just can't believe she got such a big thing after me. Does that make me better? <laughs> that I got someone who was interested to be on my show as well as Adam Conover's show? I don't know. Anyway, then I did um, Reclaiming Jane with Emily Davis Hale. Great episode about what she, what they, sorry, what they do on their podcast. Um, and... 
they were telling me that they also admired the work I was doing. This is not me flattering myself. I should just say that when I started the show, I was in a very different place in the field. I wasn't even really someone anyone knew. And it's interesting to think about that. Um, then there was the Latinization of Indigenous Students, another return from Rebecca Campbell Montalvo. I'm talking about her book, another academic author coming on here. Again, it's a uh, pretty common theme, especially in these later years. People contact, book publishers contact me and they want to be on my show. And uh, well, Rebecca, I contacted her because I saw her telling people to buy her book. And I said, well, come on the show and talk about it because I like talking to her. Then I did the Black Mental Health Non-Access with Sianna Hegwood, and I really, again, want to talk more about mental health here. I want to talk more about Black folks, and because I can talk about my experience. I'm not super comfortable talking about the overall Black experience because it's very varied, and I think the research is pretty racist. I'm hearing from a Black researcher, a Black scholar. Um, even though she's only started her program, she knows a lot about this from personal experience and from the work she's done so far, so really fascinating conversation. And ladies and gentlemen, I have succeeded because there are 30 seconds left and I have one episode left. Social Justice in the Language Classroom, the one that uh, you most recently listened to, most likely. Um, I recorded this episode I'm doing now a month ago, so it hasn't actually been released yet. But yeah, another fascinating conversation. The one I actually ended a little bit because we both <laughs> we sounded silly at one point. Um, I don't edit these very often, as you know. But anyway... Great episode. I mean, I'm getting calling them all great, but I just think I've gotten to a point where I like most of the things that we do. And that is my alarm. All right, folks. So, hope you enjoyed all of that. Um, that was difficult. I'm going to go to sleep. Good night.